Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. This is the final word story time. Number 112. Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. Coming to you from the back of the car. We've got Cam, the cameraman, and Jessica Disco Ball in the front. We're driving out to Western Victoria. We're going to Pombonite, in fact, to go and uh, visit the cricket club there and talk to some people about the history of that ground, which seems fitting that we were to choose this as a time to record story time. Also, out of desperation, because the weekend had the World Cup final, everything else was busy, and this was a time when we've got an hour or so to ourselves to go through some tales of the game. Hi, so, hi Jeff. Yeah, something like that. When we say we can't stop and we won't stop, this is probably the, the sharp end of that, that we, yep. are, we are finding an hour in the back of a car before we do a, uh, a sort of quite a, an elaborate recording in Pompanit, as you say. Then we're off to, where are we going tonight? Uh, Warrnambool, Port, Port Ferry, Ferry yep. uh, and uh, eventually off to Adelaide at some stage um, two days from now. So it's going to be heavy-duty final word, and it's all inside... 24 hours from the World Cup final that we didn't think would happen because of the rain uh, and then um, we got the full game in and today it's been pissing it down so the cricket gods were shining as it were <laughs> yes we got we got lucky we got fortunate I think many people have spent some good hours in the backs of cars so probably not doing exactly what we're going to be doing today well, we've, um, done, we've, we've done this in the back seat of a car before Jeff yeah. strictly, strictly speaking well, the front seat of a car actually it was yep. um, we're versatile the, the moved two, around the 2019 World Cup couple of daily shows one in particular when going from Manchester to Canterbury we had no choice but to record with well, I think we said at the time that I was ho- I was holding your microphone yep. so to make it look less bad but the truth was we were both holding microphones <laughs> going down the motorway to try and make it to the women's uh, one day of the following day where Elise Perry took a 7.22 or 7.22 sorry mm-hmm. and we we got there at six we had an hour's sleep couple of hours sleep whatever it was and got to the game in time for the 10am start. That was yeah. probably the most hardcore bit of that World Cup in terms of the, the podcast recordings. But thankfully, this time, we're not driving. Well, not now, at least. No, we've got uh, other people with their hands on the wheel. Um, so we don't have to keep our eyes on the road at all. You can do a daily show, maybe, while driving a car because you just have to talk. Yes. You can't do a story time while no. driving a car no. because you need your notes. You need you need your information. And, and, and we've got some corking stories today. A couple that are not particularly cricket-related. I'm just going to do some foreshadowing. Okay. We've, we've got a, a broad field today. And we, also, and we also should say, obviously, it's been an intense four weeks. There's no yeah. avoiding that. As I said on The Daily Show, like, in all probability, we had COVID a couple of weeks ago, although we didn't really know about it. No. Um, and it's been knackering. So, revisits, not quite so many at the moment. No, I think zero on today's show. Zero, yeah. yeah I that, think we're that's just... the number we're going for yep. today. And, and, and revisit specials <laughs> will need to happen. However, I'm going to suggest now that it's improbable that revisit will happen until... I get back to England on December the 21st. I just can't see them happening in the next five weeks. We'll see, we'll see. I mean, you never know. There might be a burst of inspiration at some point. But we'll we'll keep on chipping away at what we need to do. Another good thing, another exciting thing, Lord's Taverners back on the show. Uh, They are. We've done some work with the Lord's Taverners in the past because... I think one of our mottos has been good people doing good things, just as far as who we want to talk to, who we want to be involved with. They're an archetype of that. The 
great work that they do in the UK and overseas as well, helping disadvantaged kids particularly and, and kids from disadvantaged areas and kids living with disability, that sort of thing, to get involved with sport, to be uh, part of a broader community, to have a, a broader social set of social interactions than they might have access to otherwise. And they're working with us again. Yeah, so the ability for kids in those backgrounds that you described there to engage with sport and recreational activities in their local communities and you know, their programs support some of the most marginalised and at-risk young people in the UK and I've had the great pleasure of having a bit more to do with them personally since we've mm-hmm. last had them on the show and, and played in one of their charity games this year out at Wormsley. It was just a wonderful event and a wonderful day so when they, um, when I when I caught up with them before coming over here to Australia and said we'd, we'd love to do this again, they were, they were keen we were keen so they're going to be part of our story time programs for the next few months and I know in the past when we've spoken about the tabs it's been kind of a, a generic you know the tabs are great you should support the tabs we love the tabs well we're going to be like slightly sharper in our messaging here we want you to sign up to the tabs mailing list we want you to be part of the taverners mm. and, and get the information that they send out to keep you across what they're doing and if you want to then go f- go and become a you know, monthly contributor it's easy to do yep. that's your call but initially at least and we've made a little um, shortened link mm-hmm. uh, as one does so bit.ly we've done them before bit.ly slash tavs sign up could not be more straightforward we'll put that in the show notes Yep. but yeah if you've got a moment to sign up there and you can stay in touch with the great work they're doing bit.ly slash tavs sign up doesn't cost you anything uh, nope. you just find out information information is free uh, on the internet most of it's wrong but this bit <laughs> is right so um, yes Drop your email in there and uh, see if you like some of the programs they're coming up with. Should we get into it? Let's do it. I'm not going to yell nerd pledge today because I'm sitting in the back seat of a car. and that My be... brain my brain just couldn't take it. I've been working pretty hard. You've been working pretty... If you yell really loudly right now, I might, yeah. I might explode. But nerd pledge, which is sometimes yelled, is a game. It's a game that we play with people on the internet. It's a reverse quiz. This is how it works. This show is free. It's crazy. I know it's ridiculous. Ken Bruce has gone completely mad, but we are making these podcasts, about 90 of them in the last 40 days, for free. And people help us fund it, and we're very grateful to them. And what they do is they send us an amount of money, but it's not the normal amount on the note or the coin. It's a special amount that relates to cricket in some way, and we have to deduce what the meaning is. And the first number we have today, the first of the new numbers, Andrew Pelicati, uh, who has been a regular correspondent of ours in signing up to the uh, Discord page and the Patreon page probably yep. three or four months ago. Uh-huh. He and I have been having long conversations about finger spin. He okay. is a, uh, a finger spin enthusiast. He's had <laughs> many lives in cricket. Uh, he's played at many clubs around the country. Uh, he plays a lot of indoor cricket. He, I think he had a, an indoor performance where he took like six for negative ten or something a few weeks ago. <laughs> and he's been advising me on how I should go about my late 30s cricketing comeback. And he comes to us with a number, 150 AUD. And here's the clue for you, Jeff. A golden test summer for this Canberra-born spinner. My surname is pronounced Pelikati. He just wanted to um, reinforce that to us in the Good clue. Silent H, it's Ukrainian. So um, it's over to you, Jeff. So it's in keeping with that theme of spin and from Canberra. $1.50 Canberra spinners. Obviously, you know, I could have been a cliche and tried to do a Nathan Lyon thing, but he's not actually born in Canberra. From he's Young. born in Young. Yep. Uh, he used to drive young. down. Yeah, uh, when I, yeah, it's a long time ago now, but when he played at the club, he used to, um, before my time there anyway, there, there were these stories about he and his brother, Brendo, who we've had bits to do with over the years as well, Jeff, they would drive from Young down to Canberra to, to train a couple of times a week mm-hmm. and playing for the Comets and, and that's in the ACT Junior setup. That's before he ended up at Wests and 
A year after that, it was Darren Berry, who I was commentating with last night. He saw him in the nets and got him in the Adelaide yep. T20 side or the South Australian T20 side before mm-hmm. the blast. And, and here he is, 440-odd test wickets later. I particularly liked um, Ryan Campbell's line in that interview as well, that he invented the scoop shot as a way to try to hit Darren Berry yes. <laughs> behind the stumps and make him <laughs> stop talking. Good good line. Now, OK, $1.50, Canberra-born spinner. Look, we could look at a bit of Jason Flores, yep. who was a, yep. a cricketer I always enjoyed, mostly because he was a massive, lanky ranger, um, and he was just <laughs> kind of impressive to watch move around. Born in Canberra, uh, moved to Queensland to play for the Bulls in 2011, played little bits over about five seasons, never really nailed down a spot. Um, had one good season in 15-16, he took 11 wickets at 31, made a couple of hundred runs, averaged 34, and then never really went on from there and, and finished up in the Futures League. This is this incongruous thing where his last games are listed as under-23s matches in the Pat yes. Howard era when Jason Flores would have been about 31. But when they decided you could have up to six over-23s in the under-23s <laughs> games after Pat Howard had made it all under-23s that Greg Chappell, Pat Howard, youth first, Sam, you know, Sam Hazlitt debuting for Australia sort of, sort of era. But there's nothing that fit with Jason Flores numerically. And pretty much the only other Canberra-born spinner we can talk about. And and bear in mind, this also said a golden test summer. Jason Flores never played tests. Mm. Michael Bevan did. Born in heaven. Michael Bevan, born in heaven. The summer, there was a summer where he took plenty. Uh, left arm wrist spinner, like Simon Cadditch would come in to offer later. And when you've got that variation, it's extremely useful. You know, Players don't seem an awful lot of it. And so... It can be different and difficult to deal with. Um, and he could bowl. He took 119 first-class wickets across his career, Michael Bevan. At the beginning, though, early seasons didn't do a lot of it. There's this incongruous thing where his first Shield season, he plays for South Australia. Bowling medium pace. Because he on was... His, on his first-class debut, he was a medium pacer, Bev. Yeah, right. And when he was at the academy, and they um, they saw him as a bit of a dual threat. And he, yeah, because he was at the academy, he ended, which was in Adelaide, the Rod Marsh Academy, which... Ryan Campbell also talked about um, he ended up playing for South Australia in, in 89-90 and then the next year he's back to New South Wales which is not where he's born but where he's from more or less there's, there's always that blurriness between ACT and, and New South Wales and they do use him in that season he bowls more than 100 overs, takes 7 wickets and then in the few seasons after that barely bowls at all um, just a couple of overs here and there and it's actually going to England that makes that change so he plays two seasons for Yorkshire, 95 and 96. Again, bowls nearly 100 overs in both of those seasons. And so when 96, 97 comes around, the Australian test team pick him almost as an all-rounder. Yeah, they there's, there's There's this point where yeah, they're thinking, well, OK, maybe he can do something here. And it's a bit of a punt, right? Like, to this point, he's, he's played seven test matches... He's bowled a handful of overs in them. He's taken one wicket. All up in first-class cricket, he's got 26 wickets. That's it. Yeah, it was a bit of a novelty when they when they brought him back as the second spin option in 96-97. In so he played those tests in 94-95. He got dropped, I think, after the Melbourne test in 94-95, having, of course, batted so well on his maiden series in Pakistan in, in 1994. But, mm. yeah, back at home, there was a sense that he, that he wasn't doing so well against the, the seeming ball and he lost his place and reinvented himself as a as a limited overs cricketer but by that stage in 96-97 there was a sense that he was he was so good they had to find a place for him and where they put him was number six to be the second spinner with Shane Warne mm. down the other end so it was like it was like, kind of like I'm trying to think of other players that, remember when Glenn Maxwell made his test debut I mean, yeah yeah not always come back to Maxi but they really wanted him in so they kind of found a way to make him the second spinner right it, there are similarities to the way Bevan 
came back in in that summer and has that yeah. stunning run that, that takes him but through this, the Windies in South Africa and beyond. This is interesting though because it, so he plays the Windies and and the test in Brisbane he doesn't even get a bowl in the first innings. Nearly got dropped after that test. Yeah, they bowl Steve Waugh, Mark Waugh, and Ricky Ponting. Yeah, don't bowl Bevan in the second innings. He does get a bowl. He gets Carl Hooper caught behind, not a bad first wicket. Gets Ian Bishop caught off a slog. And then he takes the key wicket because the Windies are batting for a draw and Sherwin Campbell, the opener, is still there. He's made a century. He's battling on and, and Bevan gets him LBW. So right. three wickets from 14 overs. Doesn't take a wicket in the first innings at Sydney to follow up, but gets Carl Hooper again and Curtly Ambrose in the second. And so in Adelaide, they bat him at seven. They say, well, he's the genuine second spinner. He's carded to come in at seven. And he's bowling before drinks on day one. So a little different to how things were in Brisbane at the start. Uh, Shane Warne and Glenn McGrath rolled through the top. They bowl out West Indies for nothing for 130, I think it was. He gets the last four. Uh, you know, I mean, these aren't great wickets. Junior Murray's caught off a long hop that he hits to mid-wicket. And then he gets the last three. Did he um, get Patterson Thompson? That's the Patterson Thompson test match. Yes, that's in the second innings, though. Okay. So in, this, in the first innings, he gets all three of the, the last... You know, the, the 9, 10, 11 are all caught behind. And he's getting good bounce and he's landing them and they're not turning much, but they're, they're going on straight with some bounce and taking Nicks through to the keeper. And then Bevan bats, probably blows his best chance to make 100. He's 85, not out, but he's, uh, he's batting slowly, strike rate of 32 through the innings, um, and he's stranded. He runs out of partners when maybe if he put, put the foot down a little bit, he might have ended up OK. And Australia have a big score, so it's not like he desperately needs to, to hang in there and make those runs. In the second innings, he gets a bowl before Shane Warne gets a bowl. And this is... That would have gone over well. Yeah, well, this is where it starts to get exciting. So Australia's lead, I mean, they've made 517, West Indies have made 130. So he gets Sherwin Campbell again, he gets Chanderpaul, and he gets Junior Murray all caught at slip this time. Paul Adams clips to mid-wicket, and then two more tail-enders, Bishop and the Patterson-Thompson one, where it rolls down his arm off the glove and gets caught by Hayden, I think, in a short, silly point, maybe, diving across the pitch. I'm trying to remember which of those three, Sherwin Campbell... Shiv Narayan Chanderpaul and Junior Murray was the Mark Taylor catch. They're all Mark Taylor catches. No, no, the famous Mark Taylor oh, catch right. where, he, um, where he goes back, it goes from his hands to his feet, he kicks it with both feet, mm. parries it back up and takes the catch landing on his back. It's like one of the great mm. kind of juggled presence of mind slips catches. I, I don't remember which one it was, but I've got a feeling it was a right-hander that, so that could have been um, Campbell or, or Junior Murray. But either way, it was uh, Bevan with his wrong one. That's why he was getting them caught in the mm-hmm. slips, because he wasn't just landing his stock delivery. It was all the overspin he was getting and generating, and he could move the ball both ways, and that's why yeah, he kind of threatened both edges. So he goes on the South Africa tour, and he follows up. He keeps taking wickets. He gets Klusner and Pollock uh, first up. Then he gets Klusner, Dave Richardson, Alan Donald, the last one not so hard, but the other two, decent scalps. Um, Instrumental in that win, isn't he? That, that's the uh, is that the Port Elizabeth win? It's Cape Town, I think the first one. Oh uh, right, that, I think they win at Cape Town. I can't remember, but I, I, I know they do after the um, the Blewett um, mm. Steve War batting for two days thing. It, it was, but no, what I'm, I'm, I'm I think I might he be played. Mixed up yeah, I feel like at PE when Mark War makes the uh, makes the hundred in the fourth mm-hmm. innings that the Test match is somewhat set up by two people, Jason Gillespie and. Yep. Um, and Bevan. Either way, I mean, he, well, see, yeah, six wickets in that, in that series, first Test match. Yeah, well, yeah, well, then that wasn't PE. Then PE yep. was the second one. But either way, the point is, is that in that series, Bevan is. Well, I'm not saying he's Shane Warne, but Bevan is like one of the most important players picked at that point. Mm. Like they found a spot for him. It's working. He's. And the thing with Bevan was he was a volatile spinner. He would. He's like an old school wrist spinner where, you know, at least one ball and over was a four ball. Yep. 
and one ball and over was an unplayable. We got so conditioned to Shane Warne by that stage being so right. consistent that Bevan was a throwback to those wrist spinners. So he gets Klusner a couple of times. He, he gets Hansi Kronje. Would you like to have a bet on it? Um, and he's taken wickets regularly. He doesn't make a lot of runs in those three tests and he gets three tests in England. Doesn't make that many there. He gets one last outing at the SCG in January 98 and then that's it, which is sort of remarkable when you look back at the record. That's his lot. Came back as the second spinner for that one test. Got yeah. a wicket early, I reckon, in that in that South Africa test but yeah like it was that uh, oh we're at Sydney we better try to have an extra spinner right and even in England that again that first test match in Edgbaston where Lewitt makes a ton in the second dig uh, no that's Mark Taylor what am I saying Mark Taylor makes a ton in the second mm. dig but they're rolled early he has a moment or two with the ball in that first test which you think that it's going to be enough for him to prosper through the series but ultimately he's judged on his batting results rather than what he's able to do as a part-time spinner yeah so finishes with 18 tests 29 wickets six half centuries never gets a test hundred our number was one dollar fifty and so it's not the 24 wickets that he took that season but you can move the decimal point and in the series against the west indies he did take 15 wickets in what might be described as a golden test summer with the ball for a canberra-born spinner andrew pelicati that's yours nice place to start thank you for what i'm sure will be one of many pledges andrew's already been talking about um, what he'll send through in the future great to have him on board uh, in our conversation on, on discord as well uh, second up jeff we've got dos for gw all in capitals <laughs> is uh, this matthew hayden uh, 393 aud could be a could be a hados thing dos for gw We've got a clue here okay it might be a number plate. Here we go. And, and this is, this is a, an important one, a, yeah. a message more so than a clue. So Doss says, uh, this number, this 393, is in honour of a close friend of mine who took her life recently, an absolute cricket tragic and fellow West Australian. We both fell in love with a particular mister. And Doss asked us to plug the lifeline number at this point to say that if you're having trouble and you want to talk to somebody, 131114. If you're in Australia, there are the Samaritans numbers in the UK and there will be places to call in other countries as well where if, you know, for a lot of people it's about initially about just needing to be able to tell someone that they're struggling. He says that his friend's biggest struggle was overcoming her stiff upper lip. I realise this doesn't keep with the celebratory spirit of the show, but if anyone listening could be diverted from the same course of action, then I'd count that as a win. And, and I think it is in the spirit of the show. We talk a lot about yeah. me- mental health on this show. We know personally the burden that, that suicide puts on on others and, and the, also the likelihood of you know the... the the difficulty of confronting it, you know, the, the, the way that it does grab people and drag them down into the swamp when, when it gets bad enough, you know, that's, that's something that we've both had personal experience with. So we're, we're very happy to talk about it on this show and to encourage people to do what they can to look for a better way. Uh, thanks, Doss, for sending that through. And, uh, yeah, right, so it's, it's a pretty easy... Um solution in the end because a particular um, mister a particular mister cap 393 is none other than Mike Hussey um, mister mister Mike cricket. Hussey mister cricket of course yeah didn't even I, I just did the really I, just, I didn't even do that bit oh. of course mister cricket yeah yeah I, I, I thought it was worth noting that so much of the Hussey story centres on what comes before it but you know we kind of think about Hussey 05 on but it's worth yep. going back to the fact that he debuted 11 years before that in 94 95 had there were any stripes in that really tough era. But so he does in every year. You know, you look at his numbers now. He would have 
debuted as a 22-year-old if he was playing in this modern era. You go and see his averages, 41, 46, 48. Then he goes overseas, 67, 41, 51, 79. I mean, these are massive seasons, season after season after yep. season. He's getting opportunities both uh, in Australia and, and in the UK. Yeah. By the time Imagine he makes his Imagine a test- Shield player today makes 500s in the season, averaging 79. Yeah, and, and kind of nowhere near it. And, and you know, 39 first-class centuries including some bonkers seasons in England before he gets the call-up for Australia. As a test cricketer in Brisbane, 05 for the first time. At North Ads, to give but one example, 43 matches for 5,194 runs at 79 with 16 centuries and 1850s. That's just right. like, that's a couple of seasons, two and a half years I think he played at North Ads. 1,600. I mean, 1,600s is... Like, that's a long career, yeah. a long first-class career Just for a lot of players. I think he days. made three triples when he played at North Hans as well. Another season with Durham, which was, I guess, infamously or famously um, during the 05 Ashes. I say that because Kerry Packer tried to drag him into the fifth test at the Oval. Per well, the, um, me Packer and Kerry were eye-to-eye eye on that. Yeah, like, that's right. Yeah, we had Hodge, uh, Hodge and Hussey kicking around on the bench. And yeah, yeah. Well, and Hussey wasn't even in the squad, but the yeah. average 76 that season, that was the, a little nugget in the Dan Breddick book a couple of years ago, um, Bradman to Packer, or Packer to Bradman, one or the other. Um, yeah, so he finally gets in at age 30. Hit a ton in his second test against the West Indies, which we've talked about recently. I was down there, in theory at least, to watch Brad Hodges debut the day after the Socceroos win over Uruguay. Ended up seeing Mike Hussey's first 100 instead. How about the run he goes on after that? So his first 1,000 test runs were at an average of 77. And it was like he'd always been there. You think about days like Amazing Adelaide or that MCG 100 against mm-hmm. South Africa that we featured a month or so ago when he made about 80 of those runs with Glenn McGrath. As a first or second year test cricketer, it just felt like he'd been a mainstay of Australian cricket. And he right. wasn't at all. He was still kind of finding his feet, but finding them so well. And that run continues almost without exception for the first two and a half years of his international career or his test career. And in that window, 29 test matches for 49 innings, an average of 66.3, with nine centuries and 12 other scores above 50. And with all of that said, within 12 months of that run ending, he's very much on the cusp of losing his spot in the test side in the 2009 Ashes. He's um, told that story again recently with our our young freelance colleague Cam Ponsonby, where Huss spoke to Cam about um, that that comment that Ian Chappell made on television. He, He saw it as he's walking out to bat, where did he make that 100? He made the 100 at, was it Edgbaston in uh, 2009 Ashes? Uh, was it at the Oval? It the Oval, might have been the Oval, last the Oval, test. Yeah, last the Oval, test, of course yeah. it was. Looked at the TV and, and saw Ian Chappell saying that Hussey's batting for his career. And he, how he was liberated by that, how he felt that yep. that gave him the freedom to, to return to where he had been only 12 months earlier when, you know, as I say, averaging 66 over his first 29 tests and, you know, one of the great sustained runs ever, if you can call 29 test a sustained run. I suppose you probably can, can't you? It's not not a small sample size. Anyway, so he reels off that ton um, and across his next 50 test matches, you know, his career ends kind of abruptly early 2013 against Sri Lanka. He makes the announcement of his retirement before what becomes his final test. But yeah, in that 50 tests after the crazy run, he still averages 44, you know. He made 10 centuries in that window. Yep. Like, I think that we wrongly remember Hussey as being an extraordinary talent for a couple of years and then really, like, dropping. And I guess he does, but he only drops to being... Normal good. Normal normal good, 44. Yeah. And remembering that in that stretch, it was a far trickier window. Like, the yeah. golden generation who we started with, 
started to retire, the Australian side started losing. Yep. And I still think that, you know, averaging 44 in that window is a, is a fine return. Anyway, he was also a World Cup winner in 2007 in the 50-over format. He made 61 first-class tonnes by the time he was done. Mr Cricket, cap 393, Mike Hussey. And uh, in T20 World Cup, flashbacks that kept coming up the time that he took apart Sardajmal yes. when they needed, what, 60 off the last four overs. Got into the final. Yeah, got into the final that, that England won, the first, the first of their sustained dominance of global silverware. Very good. Thanks, Doss, and uh, we hope that we did that justice, Mr Cricket. Hi, I'm Brian Roddle. You're listening to The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. Next up, now this is a, a fun one here, yes. Gabor Torok. Good man. Who has sent through our very first pledge in Hungarian foreign. <laughs> Nobody has ever sent us Hungarian currency before. He's sent through 800 Huff, H-U-F. And he's, uh, he's been on the show, of course. Um, yes. Gabor before when he made his international debut earlier this year at age 40. Yep. Um, and he's been a correspondent of mine since then. And, well, we haven't got a clue here. Well, well, what well, he what did we say have... to me, though, he said to me that he, he didn't quite pick up the thread of how the nerd pledge bit was working. He just kind of popped the pledge in. and It's a Julio. It's a Hungarian Julio. Hungarian Julio. There is you what go. it That's is. Right. Which we didn't know, and so we spent a lot of time trying to solve this 800. I spent some time talking to Barrett Sunderason about it. We were looking at all kinds of different prisms of how we could look at Hungarian cricket sure. and try to slice it and dice it to make this work, and then found out that it wasn't a pledge at all. Uh, so never mind, we've come this far, <laughs> which means that I'm going to tell you what we came up with yesterday. We're like, how do we connect 800 to Hungary? Here we go. This was Barat's idea. He said, why don't you convert it to another currency and see what it is? Convert it to Great British Pounds, it's 173. Who made 173? Butch. Mark Butcher at Headingley. What does Mark Butcher do these days? He's a musician. Who's another musician who might have a link to Mark Butcher? The um, Jazz Butcher. Uh, okay. Okay, so in the 1980s, there's like a slightly weird alt art band uh, or various bands centered around a character called the Jazz Butcher, whose real name is Pat Fish, uh, which wasn't his real name either. That was also a stage name because his name, real name was Pat something else. <laughs> the most famous song ever released by the Jazz Butcher, Hungarian Love Song. Oh, lovely. There we go. There's one link. And the other link that we have is what if we look at Gabor Torok's match? Because he's only played the one thus far. Room for more. Could be Yeah, I, I think they missed out or he missed out on a squad that was going to a European competition. Either way, I mean, yeah, I'm sure time, he... Time if he's good enough. Time if he's good enough. Uh, yeah, he, um, he'll, he'll draw inspiration from the, the, the Adelaide cricketers of his youth where he spent much of the time in his teenage years. Well, uh, look, this is... He, it's a bit of a Jody Hicks performance for Gabor Torok yes. in this one. Uh, does get a bat, doesn't get to face a delivery. He's not not, not out at the non-striker's end. During that innings, when they're playing Bulgaria, they take 16 runs off two overs from the Bulgarian right arm, Seema Delric Varghese. That's an economy rate of 8.00. <laughs> and also, well, so Gabor comes out with three balls to go, doesn't, doesn't get a chance to face a ball, um, and then doesn't get a bowl in the second innings. But they're in trouble, right? Bulgaria against the Hungarians. The Bulgarians are 100 for two with nine wickets to go. So they're chasing, they only need another 60-odd. They had a runner ball. They've got plenty of time to do it. And then the there's a point. crucial run out. Yes. And who should produce it but Gabor Tarok? And who should he dismiss, cruising happily at 31 from 20 balls, 
Aravinda da Silva. <laughs> Not that Aravinda da Silva, but a different Aravinda da Silva. But who played in Matteo Marulathurin's test debut? Aravinda da Silva. And how many test wickets did Marulli go on to take? <laughs> 800. And that is my suggestion for the number for 800 Hungarian forints for Gabor Toruk. Very nice for the Hungarian Julio himself, Gabor <laughs> Toruk. At some point we will meet, I'm sure. Double header next. Uh, it's a double header. Yep. It's a 3-3-3. Three, three, three. It's quite the number. It's okay. a number we've dealt with before. Uh, Danny Rose in the AUD and Mel Shawley in the GBP who we've had a lot to do with over the last couple of years. Uh, now, for Danny, which you're going to do, Jeff, there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a lengthy clue. I'll read it out, shall Please. we? In this instance, 333 links Jeff Lemon, Hanuma Bahari, Simon O'Donnell, Jared Whateley, and presumably Adam Collins via a conversation between Whateley and O'Donnell that took place on SEN during the break taken for Bahari to receive treatment on his hamstring during the final day of the Sydney Test in 2021. Jared was imploring that regardless of Bahari's injury, he simply had to stay in the middle and dink it around to see India through. Simon's response was to say, what a wonderful phrase, which convinced me that Simon was either a finer word listener or a fan of Jeff's singing voice or both. Hope that helps and maybe lends itself to a discussion about India's achievement in holding out that afternoon, which might be unfairly overshadowed by their feats in Melbourne and Brisbane. Perhaps like Tim Payne, we were wondering what might happen when Australia got them to the Gabba. Well... What a wonderful phrase. That's the line that Simon O'Donnell said. And that's a line that we've said many times on this show because whenever Hanuma Vahari comes up, we say... Hanuma Vahari. What a wonderful phrase. It does indeed mean no worries. Well, Hakuna Matata does mean no worries in Swahili. Elton John and Tim Rice were the ones who put that song together, among others. Uh, And now Tim Rice judges the uh, Telegraph Cricket Book Prize as well. Didn't give it to me. Thanks, Tim. That's the circle of Good life. Tim. It's the wheel of fortune. It is the circle of life. And, and so when you listen to the Lion King soundtrack, you start with the circle of life, the big grand opening. You go on to I Just Can't Wait to Be King, which is kind of obnoxious. I, an expression of Wasn't privilege, a, really. Oh, I'm a prince, so I really just can't wait to be king. You know, oh, well, maybe your mother will live till 96. And you have to. Is that on that album? Too? Uh, almost. Almost. We're nearly getting there. Okay. Also, who remembered that Rowan Atkinson plays the baboon in The Lion King? Maybe does pa- the voice for that? Maybe Pac Bean. Maybe Pac Bean knows. Played in the in the uh, in one of the sequels, Lion yeah. King sixteen. Um, Pac Bean plays the baboon. <laughs> well, I just thought, given how much time we've spent talking about Mr. Bean over the last couple of weeks, yeah. it was it was notable that Rowan Atkinson popped up on the cast list, and also the the girlfriend story that that is that remains one of the funniest things. James A. Castor, the British comedian who wrote the story about how his girlfriend left him for Rowan Atkinson where he's like, I'm 34 years old <laughs> and he's about 70. Right. And, and, and he, he, so he's a comedian and he was like, he, he wrote this piece and he's like, I've been sitting on this for about a year and a half out of respect to everybody involved, but I now have to write this because it is the funniest thing that has ever happened to anyone. He's like, imagine being a fit, healthy young man and being left for Rowan Atkinson. Left for Mr Bean. Being left for Mr Bean in I mean, this if current it's, I mean, state. if it's Hugh Laurie, similar age, <laughs> if, it's ben, if it's old Ben Jones. Yeah, then you could see that, right? Yeah. You could see that. But, you know, I mean, well, Rowan Atkinson must be a, a charismatic individual, that's all I can say. Might be packing heat. <laughs> Mr 
see him on the Mr. diving board. Mr. Beanstalk. Well, when we're on the diving board, that mm. famous episode of Mr. Bean, oh, he's yeah. scared to jump off. Then he's then his bathers fall down, don't they? Uh, I, I'm pretty sure there was something like that. Who yeah. knew? Who knows what was happening underneath it? I just can't wait to be king. Is sung by Jason Weaver, who I have learned played the preteen Michael Jackson on the 1992 miniseries The Jacksons: An American Dream, and was featured on oh, Chingy's that? 2004 hit single One Call Away. Okay. You watched the Michael Jackson yeah, miniseries? I reckon I did. I reckon that was featured on <laughs> Channel 10 over a couple of nights in about 1994. Um, other things I did not remember about The Lion King: uh, Simba's spoken parts are voiced by Jonathan Taylor Thomas. That's obnoxious. Oh, what a man! Scar was played by Jeremy Irons. Good call. Uh, you know. Get, get Jeremy's iron <laughs> involved. Uh, Mufasa was James L. Jones, aka Darth Vader, etc. Um, and Adult Symbol was played by Matthew Broderick, which I absolutely had oh, that wow. memory that Ferris okay. Bueller was running around being the Lion King. That's probably just before Sarah Jessica Parker mm. with him. The hyenas were voiced by Whoopi Goldberg and Cheech Marin. So uh, Cheech from Cheech and Chong what? <laughs> was hanging out with Whoopi Goldberg voicing the hyenas. In the <laughs> They've had a great time on this trip, haven't they? Oh, They've done so much coke on making this film, haven't they? <laughs> yeah. Imagine those two just in the recording booth, you know, sort of compression session style, up yeah. in smoke. Track five is Can You Feel the Love Tonight? That's, That's the one I'm that you were of. thinking. Backing vocals from Rick Astley on that one. Who didn't get a Guernsey on this? But the point Who made is, the flick? <laughs> As in, who directed it? Yeah, who's, who made... Who I made, can't remember. Whoever it is has got all his mates in, right? Yeah. Was he it, or she? Was it... Some, maybe it was a... It couldn't have been. I feel like Spielberg would have been involved somewhere. But, you know, no, I mean, Disney probably got stuff. A, probably got a gig making the tease. Disney stuff was probably no, no-name directors so they could, you know, pay them less or whatever. But the point is that track four on the Lion King soundtrack is Hakuna Matata, right. a.k.a. Hanuma Vahari, which is clearly the feel-good song of this particular film. Every musical has one feel-good song, you know, Under the Sea in The Little Mermaid, uh, Be Our Guest yep. in uh, Beauty and the Beast, Master of the House in Les Miserables, etc. Um, I mean, this song is sung by a warthog and a meerkat and <laughs> the irritating child lion with the horrible... those. Ugh, those like childish American voices that just make your skin crawl. I think it basically is a Buddhist message of detachment. You know, you have to let go of your concerns. You, you can only look at what's ahead of you. You can't look at what's behind. And why is it three thirty-three, Danny Rose? Because the length of track four on the Lion King soundtrack is three minutes and thirty-three seconds. Oh, Danny, 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 Danny. <laughs> we've had many, many ways of getting time numbers across the four or so years we've been making this program. That's the first time we've done it with minutes and seconds. Uh-huh. Well, we probably have done it with minutes and seconds, but not... We've done it with hours on the clock, but I don't think we've... we've we haven't done the duration of a musical track. Yeah. Yep. Really good. And I love that it comes back to... I remember doing that that day of commentary with you, yeah, as he says there, with, with Jared and... And Simon. And Scoob and the... Because co- yeah, he's a very good summariser, Simon O'Donnell. But we were doing it in the studio because it was that COVID year, so mm. we couldn't actually be at the ground. And it was all rather frenetic on that final afternoon with Richard Punt making 97 and holding out what would have been about like a 70 ball 100 or something like that. Remember they promoted him to number five thinking, oh, yeah. fuck it, we're going to go for the runs? then they, they shut up shop when, when Ashwin and, and Bahari... Ashwin had, what, Chaggers and Bahari yep. did his hammy. That's right. And then they pulled out in the last um, in the last couple of hours. But it was all very much worthwhile as Australia bowled themselves into the turf. And um, we're all knackered for the following week as well. Great that, series. And that's a series that Brat, as it happens, is uh, has written a book about. Yeah, that book's out 
now, I think. No, it's, it's out. It's not out for a while. It's, um, it's not out. It's out I've seen the, the cover of it. Yeah, it's coming out. Oh, it's coming. Yeah, they're Australia. holding it back for the old Border It's Gavaskar. called um, the, 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 the Greatest Epic or something like that. It's got mm. some over-the-top title that I'm sure Brad didn't, didn't go for himself. Yeah, one thing I can tell people is you don't get any say over the title of your book. No. <laughs> Someone else tells you the options and you try to whittle it down yeah. to the least bad ones. So, yes, one of the one of the true epics, the, the Risha Pant, Chiteshwa Pajara partnership when they are going for it. Yeah. The way they closed it up and managed to hold out and can't wait to get you to the Gabba and all the rest of it. Well, they did get them to the Gabba and then they got away from the Gabba. Mel Shawley's clue says, I know 333 has come up many times, but I don't think you've mentioned this particular answer before. The clue is <laughs> when Lubo tamed the hurricane. Yeah, so Mel Shawley's very much Team Gower in the Gower Gooch okay. wars. Not that they were, you know, as we spoke about with Graham, like it's not as though they were, had like this protracted war. It's just that they had like quite an acute falling out mm. around this era, as it happens. But um, yep. yeah, Lubo and then um, made up. Made yeah. out subsequently, yeah. Made out? Made out. <laughs> Maybe in the back of a car. <laughs> made, uh, made up subsequently. <laughs> um, and, a, and, a, and a chummy these days. Uh, but yeah, Lubo, David Gower, and the Hurricane, well, we'll come to that in why, a second. Why? why? Because I've never a, heard this before. Yeah, because it was a steakhouse that he enjoyed. It's a pretty, really? pretty ropey nickname, isn't it? Lubo. Yeah, it's not something. Lubo Mobile. Yeah, and one through. Yeah, uh, cool. One three, one, one three, 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 Job as a sponsorship. Line. I was going to say, if, if, if Lumobile is still in operation, and yeah. I'm sure they are, we can do the 13, 13, 32 uh, uh, all summer long. If you uh, want to be a sponsor of the podcast for the daily shows through the summer, now's the time to hit me up. Final word cricket at gmail.com. Um, I, I am in favour of Lumobiles in general. I think everybody should be able to get lube at any time that they need lube. <laughs> I think it should be available and it should be it should delivered be a lube to mobile. Them. It should be a lube mobile that brings lube to you. Lube mobile will come to you. Well, that's what I want. You Call know? 13, 13, yeah. 32. Yeah. Imagine that the lube mobile guy just comes up gets out of the van and just slides up to your front door just and then drops off your package and slides back like a penguin I'm trying to remember the next line of the, next line of the ad uh, if uh, da, 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 we've got it He'll fix the floor. No, he, no, he fixed right. the car. He'll fix the car. He fixed the, fix the car. He'll fix the car. Yeah. Right, where are yeah, we? Well, it's, um, not, it's not all he fixed. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Everybody <laughs> was feeling better by the time the Lubemobile man left. The Lubemobile, David Gower. <laughs> David Gower, the so, Lubemobile himself. Um, so, so David Gower is Lubo. And the Hurricane, well, originally you kind of, uh, you know, you could... Reuben Carter? I'm like, when did Gower come up against Reuben Carter? Yeah, the man the authorities came to blame. Um... Maybe the plane, the Tiger Moth. That's from the 1990-91 oh, yeah. But it wasn't. It wasn't that. But the man who was known as the Hurricane um, was Kapil Dev. The, um, is it the Haryana? Is that how you pronounce yeah. it? Haryana. The Haryana Hurricane. And it's a as, good nickname. It is. And as it happens, he was David Gower's only Test wicket. So it meets the clue of when Lubo tames the Hurricane. But it's oh. good yarn. Good yarn. So at the end of that really uh, painful Test series between. England and India in, in 1982, which ends in a 1-0 result for India. So it's rain and fog. Oh, the six-test series. Yeah, that's right. So there's five draws. Rain Ugh. and fog in Kampur means they only get in one innings per team, mostly on days one and five. England make 378 for nine and declared after a gooch half-century and a Botham ton. Um, there were 350s from India in response, and then Kapil Dev walks in and goes absolutely bonkers. Hits a century from just 83 balls. In that era, that, that oh, meant something. I mean, it means, it means something now. Do it today, that's significant. Yeah. yeah, ends up with 116 from 98 rocks. Then they bring on Gower to have a trundle. I'm not even, I'm not even really sure what David Gower bowled, to be honest with you. I can't I, remember. The only thing I can visualise oh, you know is some remember. kind of innocuous spin. No, he did. He bowled finger spin. I remember yeah. he bowled in a one-day international in Australia in 1991 and being quite amused by the whole thing. I right. think he bowled, um, he bowled finger spin. 
That's what everyone who can't bowl bowls. Yeah, yeah. He only bowled six overs in his career, as it huh. turns out. And one of those six overs netted the wicket of a man going like the Clappers, who'd made 116 from 98 balls yeah. by that point. It was the sixth ball of the only over that he delivered. Capel caught Graham Dilley. One over, one for one. Now, That suggests to me caught in the deep. <laughs> Probably, yeah. probably. If you're Capital Dev facing David Cower, you would want to smash him. True enough, yes. Now, the other thing about 333 and, uh, and, and the protagonist here is that when Gooch makes his triple hundred at Lords, India avoid the follow on, thus providing Gooch the chance to bat a second time in the test in the third innings because Eddie Hemmings gets hit for four consecutive sixes into the into the nursery. Oh, by Capital Dev. By Capital Dev. So the hurricane and, is back. And the hurricane is back. And But I mean, that's brilliant commentary as mm. well. And uh, it's a really sort of famous Lord's moment when Capital Dev goes bang, 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 bang. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> I, I want, want you in, in my room. room. <laughs> um, I mean, they have, the Venger boys have tweeted this before, so yeah. it, it could happen again. Um, <laughs> What did uh, they think of 1983, the movie, <laughs> the Capital yeah, Dev movie? Capital Dev, yeah, well, yeah we, might, we might find out. Okay. We'll, we'll tweet them during the week. Maybe they still follow us, who's to know? Uh, so, yeah, so there is that link back to, you know, uh, and Gower's playing in that game, mm. of course, at, at Lords. Right. But, yeah, with the bat, you know, Gower did enjoy batting against Dev from time to time. He um, made a double hundred, unbeaten double hundred, the first time he played against the Capital Dev side at Edgbaston, uh, and 157 not out uh, the final time they played against each other at huh. the Oval. So he bookended... His Indian uh, career, if you like, uh, or Indian contest with with big unbeaten hundreds. That last innings was uh, to save a test following on. Phil Walker's talk, talked about mm. it quite a bit over the years that he, I think he bunked off school or something like that right. as a young kid and went along to the Oval and, and watched uh, Gower, his favourite player, make, was almost like a career saving uh, 157 not out, but it's sort of thought of as one of his most graceful hands in a pretty competitive field um, and doing it in tough circumstances where they needed to bat out the day to ensure they weren't going to be defeated. But that doesn't get us back to the number. Yeah. Uh, 333. Why 333? Well, um, I'll, I'll tell you why, Jeff. Uh, he took, in his career, one for 20 from 36 balls with best bowling of one for one when he picked up Capital Dev. An average of 20. Thanks very much. That's lovely. An economy rate of 3.33. Ah, that's where it comes in. And I've... a strike rate of 36. Lovely numbers. If he had a play to... Yeah. If he qualified... Uh-huh. And we're going to talk about strike rates in a bit. I'll have you know. Mm-hmm. Um, a strike rate of 36, economy rate of 3.33, an average of 20. Beautiful. If you just Beautiful. look at the right-hand side of the Crick Info page, you're like, <laughs> this guy's a serious <laughs> operator. The problem is, the further you go left, the more you realise that bowling 20... Well, sorry, bowling 36 balls in 117 test matches across... Mm. Well, what did he debut in, debut in 76, didn't he? So mm. a career that lasted 16 <laughs> years um, didn't quite do enough. Four test matches for every delivery bowl yes, is, yes. Is, uh, is not quite the ratio that stacks up. Beautifully done. Thank you, Mel, surely. Cheers, uh, Mel. And thanks, See you soon. Thanks for the double header on the 3-3-3 with Danny Rose. We've got one more double header to go, and that's it for the show. Aditya Sutresna. And Bernard Sayer and Aditya came along to the, uh, the, the the live recording on the Friday night on the rooftop Johnny's Green Room. So it was good to meet him and have a chat there. And the number that they have sent through is $4.50 AUD. Yes, nice to see Aditya again. Uh, now, right, so clue here. Nerds with a sense of humour and a social conscience are my favourite kind of podcast hosts. So I was very happy to find such a cricket podcast. Well... Thanks very much. Very kind. Um, Given I'm Indonesian, I was tempted to switch 
currencies to the rupiah, is that how you pronounce it? Rupiah, of course, rupiah, um, to make use of six digits for a pledge. One dollar equals about 10,000 rupiah, or IDR. Uh, my pledge of 450 refers to one time I was hit for six while playing under 13s in the South Perth junior cricket system. It's rare to have sixes at that level, uh, but I'm convinced that this player went on to play test cricket. I remember his teammates referring to him by an uncommon first name. Uncommon first name. What about the big hotel, Hilton Cartwright? Oh, very good. Cap number 450, straight off the top. Yes, part of the same Greg Chapel and Pat Howard era that we mentioned earlier. Born in Zimbabwe, raised in Perth, surprise test debut in 2017 in Sydney. Uh, but the numbers before that were good, you know, yeah. all-rounder. All yeah. Bowled some seam, but mostly it was about the batting. Played about half the Shield season in 15-16 and averaged 74. Uh, made a tonne during the winter against India A up north. And then the 16-17 season averaged 52. So when the Sydney test came around, not that that season had finished yet at that point, uh, he gets picked for that SCG test. Does okay. You know, doesn't set the world alight, but doesn't disgrace himself. Gets one more test in Bangladesh later in 2017. And then that's it thus, thus far. And... And what you learn from finding things out later on is that they didn't really pick him in that Greg Chapel, Pat Howard sort of era because they thought he was absolutely ready to go, but because uh, the way it was phrased to me was they thought that Mitchell Marsh needed a kick up the arse and, and it, that if they picked another all-rounder, then that would be the thing to kick huh. on another player. So okay. it was more about mind games than it was about the best 11 at the time. So... It's interesting to ponder whether that makes it harder for him now, you know, having having reached that top level maybe earlier than he would have otherwise. But yeah. then the fact that it has been difficult for him since because, you know, over the next few years he crashes. He has seasons averaging in the 20s. Um, he gets dropped from the WA side. And it's only the last year, last season, that he's really started to get back where he made a couple of tonnes and he's had a good start this year with a couple of 50s. Um, he's 30 years old now. He's still a useful bowler. There's still time yet for him to, to make a case to get back. But given the dip that he has, uh, it's it's tempting to put two and two together and wonder if it has something to do with being elevated prematurely. Yeah, and he got a second test as well. You go yeah, to the Chittagong. One, yeah. yeah, and the, the way that happened um, was that they wanted to play three spinners in Chittagong. Steve O'Keefe flew out. And they thought they would balance the side by having a number six who could open the bowling. He didn't bowl too often in the test, by the way. Yeah. But didn't bat badly there. Nor did he bat badly at the SCG when he interviewed. Looked quite organised. But your point there about um, being thrown in early and how improbable it was that he was going to play in the seventeen eighteen Ashes at home because um, they had a you know by the time you get there they've got a, the, 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 a far more solid group of players to pick from. There was a number of shield rounds before that, 17, 18 Ashes that, that meant that it was yeah, unlikely that he was going to make that, that first test. So interesting career arc so far. As you say, 30, time there for him. Um, I, I also wonder, it's probably probably pretty out there thing to say, but if, if he reaches the point where he feels like he's not going to play for Australia again, I wonder whether he'd consider trying to play for Zimbabwe. A bit of Zim. Well, he has played all three formats for Oz, I reckon. I reckon he's played yeah. one day as in T20s, but... Um, and I know the qualification to move from one full member to another is, is quite can be quite rigid at times. But yeah, there, there might be some temptation possibly later in his career to think about going back to the country where he was born. It would be it'd be a great yarn. I doubt it'll happen. But Eddie Byram, um, he was formerly of Somerset, now Glamorgan, and the word on the streets he's interested in, in potentially going that way. And 
and Gary Balance as well. Um, it's been rumoured that, that he might, in very, very different circumstances in the case of Gary Balance, but has been a, an effective test cricketer some years ago and still young enough. If he wanted to get out of the England system, that might be a route for him and very, very different for Cartwright. But he has played in England, played a, um, about half a season for Middlesex. That didn't go well at all. That was in 2018. Yeah, interesting career. Well, we've got one more to go. Bernard Sayer, his clue is this. Uh, I put in a new number that you actually brought my attention to. So in truth, it was a bit of a gift and a tribute to my frustration of the pandering over batters' records and treating bowlers' records as somewhat incidental. Do with that what you will. What have you done? Yeah, I'm pretty happy with where I landed. I feel like I've learned a few things in answering Bernard's question here. I mean, first of all, there's no one that's taken like 45 fifers or anything like this. this isn't like a Morley thing or a Warney thing or you know Morley took 67 for what it's worth and Warn 37 that's a huge gap between first and second for fifers by the way but what about strike rates like strike rate of 45 I think when Glenn McGrath was playing we thought it was like a strike rate of 50 constituted a great a great bowler in test cricket that is um, but if you lower that cut off to 45 it rules out, you know, about half the players between 45 and 50. There are a lot of cricketers between 45 and 50. I think you end up with 16 who've had a strike rate of better than 45 in Test cricket, meeting the criteria of having bowled a minimum of 2,000 deliveries. And look, I don't mind that. You know, a group of 16, that feels about right to me. I mean, Jeff, we, we talk about players who average more than, say, 60 with the bat, how many of them are there? Four or five, six, seven maybe, you know. I like the idea of a group of 16 who've been able to consistently have a strike rate below 45. I think that's a pretty good measure. Anyway, there's an outlier, there always is. George Lyman, 34.1 across 18 test matches, 112 wickets. We've spoke about um, that 19th century bowler in the past on the podcast. Then there are actually a stack of modern players. Indeed, we've had one sneak up on us this year without even realising it. I remember that Cricket Info cut them off at 2,000 balls and looked through that as a measure. And Jeff, I reckon I could ask you to guess for an hour who is the, who is the current cricketer who has the second best strike rate of all time behind George Lohman, who's just snuck over 2,000 balls. I, I would suggest you wouldn't get it. Right. Um, Scott, could, Scott Boland doesn't have the 2,000 deliveries, does Not he? even close. Not even in the same ballpark. 2,000 deliveries. I mean, you're probably looking at someone having to play about, what, 20-odd... Test right. something like that. Maybe not quite 20, but it's a fair bit of bowling, you know. Uh-huh. It's it's the same measure as we had with Adam Voges making... Right. Uh, was it 2000... Uh, right, it no, 20th be, innings. Yeah, 20th, 20th innings. innings. So, so you're looking at like a Kyle Abbott or someone who's played enough but without playing too much, something like that? That's right. You're looking at someone who's played enough but not without playing too much to sully their figures. Well, I'll tell you who it is. It's Dwayne Olafir. Dwayne huh. Olafir. Has the he's okay, moved in the second spot, so he's overtaken JJ Ferris, who for the longest time was number two. And you'd think that you know the Loman Ferris axis up top was never to be be- never to be beaten. You know, thirty four point one, then thirty seven point seven, and then Shane Bond at thirty eight point seven. It felt like they were going to be sitting on the podium forever. But here's the one on fear. He has taken fifty nine wickets at an average of twenty one point nine, but a strike rate of thirty five point three in his 15 test matches. Just three fifers. It's not as though he's taking... I guess it must say a bit about how judiciously he's been used by his captains, that he, doesn't, he, doesn't, he isn't overbold when, mm. when charging in. And he's not even really in the best side for South Africa at the moment. And I, and I cite that team because in the test match that we were... Well, the test series that we were covering 
recently on, on the daily shows in England. There was a test match where, in addition to Olafir, you've got active players under 45, Rabada 40.2, Nokia 43.8, Ngidi 43.4, and on the other side, Ollie Robertson 43.8. So in one test match, we had four bowlers huh. out of the 16 who have ever met that criteria and had a strike rate below 45. I Says wonder a little if that's bit an early career thing as well, because like, they're all bowlers who haven't bowled that much. Well, I mean, Rabada's, Rabada's taken over 250 test well, wickets. Well, yeah, Rabada's the exception. but Yeah, um, the others, not so much, you're right. Yeah, someone yeah. like Robinson, or where, where that number Robinson, 51, Norkia, 57, and yeah. Ngidi, I think it's in the 40s, uh, start, 49. Start low with some good performances and then have it sort of bump up as, you know, get get averaged up over Sure. No, no, that, that's a fair point, and they, they probably will, but... Interesting that, as it stands right now, yeah. that they're all in all in that group. And you know, there are other bowlers you'd expect there to be who have a had a reputation of having low strike rates, like Wakai Yunus at forty three point mm. four. Carl Jamieson's also active, by the way. His strike rate seventy two wickets, rate of forty three point nine. You know, Barnes forty four point eight, Dale Stain forty two point three. We're talking proper great cricketers here. But yeah, um, Dwayne Olafir currently in second spot. Then I thought to round this out. What about a cricketer who had a strike rate of bang on 45? And there is one of them too. Uh, the bottom man in our list of 16, our sweet 16, okay. uh, is a man uh, by the name of Jack Cowie who played nine test matches. Only nine. So the fewest tests of anyone on this list. Only JJ Ferris and Jack Cowie were able to bowl 2,000 balls at that strike rate in nine test matches. They were, they were used heavily. Nine test matches between 1937 and 1949. 45 wickets at 21.5 strike rate. Bang on 45. Bowled right arm seam. Took the field in every test New Zealand played in that stretch. And I know the World War's in there too, but, you know, again, it speaks to how limited the opportunities for New Zealand cricketers were in, in right. that generation. There's a great line in those obituary that cites wisdom where it says... Had he been an Australian, he might have been termed a wonder of his age. That was after he took 114 wickets at 19 on the 1937 Tour of England, bowling these jagging off-cutters at pace or so it's been written. But Len Hutton said particularly nice things at the time. In fact, he got Hutton out for Norton 1 on his test debut at Lords in 37, which was also Cowie's debut, so they debuted against each other and Cowie took the honours in, in both innings. In Manchester... During that same series, he took six for 67 um, and, and ended up becoming New Zealand's first 10 for, 10 for 140. Hmm. Wally Hammond, bad cock, out for naught. <laughs> and was that before his cock went bad? It is. It's after <laughs> Wally Hammond had that problem with his penis. One test um, against Australia after the war in 1946 um, when he was a bit slower. But he still took six of the eight wickets that Australia lost in that test match. And pretty good names there too, by the way. Barnes, Miller, Hassett, out of that six, his second hmm. six for. And his third six for was against... England at Christchurch in 47, his final test, um, and his first test against England since he's six in, in 37 at, at Manchester. Um, so he retired shortly thereafter, went into umpiring and stood in three test matches in the 1950s, long career in insurance, eventually was awarded an OBE and passed away at age 82 in 1994, but a strike rate bang on 45 when, you know, if Bernard Sayer is saying we don't sort of think too much about bowlers when it comes to their numbers we focus too more on too much on batters well this is one category where I certainly agree what mm. might have been if you were Australian John Jack Cowie if you're a strike rate um, enthusiast then yeah I, I always remember Jason Gillespie's line to us about you know I said do you, do you ever feel sorry for a, 
the batter when they're so out of form and they just can't play you. And he said, I will never feel sorry for a batter. Yes, yes, um, yes. But And then he had that analogy where he said, you know, what's what's one of you know the best strike rate for a long career player in history? Dale Stay in 42. What does that mean? It means he had to bowl seven overs for every wicket he took. He's like, if you ever bowled seven overs, it's bloody hard work, and and that's the fastest wicket taker effectively of all time. In yeah, in in you know, out of somebody who played played for a long time and took a lot of wickets. Yeah, so, so Stan, you'd go through it. You say, you know, Loman outlier because of the the type of career he had. Yeah. Then Olafir in second spot. I hope he plays Test cricket again. I mean, the fact that he can't get in the Safa side right now. Mm. Back from Colpack duty, I should say. Then Ferris, Bond, Rabada, Barnes, Stain. Yeah. It's a pretty good list. Pretty good list. And that brings us to the end. We're uh, 11 minutes from Pombonit, where we're going to record more podcasts. That has worked perfectly. Can't stop, won't stop. That has worked. That, that, that couldn't have worked any better. And I think, I mean, a lot of people listen to this show on long car rides, and we've recorded it on a long car ride. Yeah. So it's just a duality here. It's a double, it's a car ride squared, and we hope that you've had that nice, sort of slightly dozy kind of feeling. I'm pretty sure Cam went to sleep for a while <laughs> in the front seat while we were rabbiting on in the back. Uh, and I hope that it's brought that atmosphere through your headphones or your stereo to wherever you are listening to this. Well, I've had one flavoured milk. I had a banana Big M yep. uh, on the way in. Banana Sayers. Banana Sayers. Uh, and I plan on having another chocolate milk upon our arrival. Maybe chocolate this time. Mm-hmm. I'm going to arrive in, um, in Pombonite, the Pombo Bulls Cricket yeah. Club. Looking forward to learning about them. And, um, yeah, a reminder that you can jump on the little page we've set up, uh, bit.ly forward slash tabs sign up that's all in the show notes and looking forward to continuing our association with them throughout the course of the australian summer and if you want to play nerd pledge it's real easy patron.com slash the final word you can help us keep making the show and you can be part of the show yourself right it's enough for us uh, find us on discord as well yeah if, you, if you're if you're a patron who isn't on discord send us a message and we'll we'll send you the link there there are nice people there just hanging out chatting about the cricket also doing a live show Oh, probably yeah. should start telling probably people about that. Probably should mention that. Yeah, yeah. It's on the twenty third of November in Melbourne. Chris but, Rogers. But, you know, keep 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 an eye out. The details will be coming. That's it. This is story time. One hundred and maybe twelve. I don't know. Lost the number. I think that sounds about right. If it's not, you'll know because the right number will be in the title of the show. We've got more shows to make. We'll see you later. Bye. I had to go. <laughs>